All right, where were we? We were right here. That's where we left off. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Hope everything is going well, my friend. It's another day or somewhere. But right now, it's today. And I'm very excited because I have a lovely conversation lined up later on the show. I love saying show. I don't know. Do you guys feel it's more of a show or do you feel it's more of a um, capsule? Yeah. There's so many tricks. You know, when I was working in radio, people are like, you should say you because you want the person to feel like you are talking to them. I said, yeah, but it's weird for me looking at a mic going, hey, you. It just sounds creepy. Like, hey, you, I want to do things to you that are really, really sort of forbidden in the world that we live in. No, it just sounds weird. Unless, of course, I'm a sex show RJ or a sex jockey. Uh, <laughs> shit man um, apparently there's some show on Hulu which I haven't watched I don't watch shows I just hear about shows and I talk about them like I've watched them which is fucking epic right and you can pull it pull it off in today's day and age where you don't know much about things uh, but you just hearsay either a few, through a few tweets or a blog here or a YouTube video there and just then suddenly just like yeah the other day I was watching this entire sh- documentary on Giza and I think that, you know, it's crazy how they did. I'm like, dude, I can do it as well. Like, so I I was um, reading. Okay, this is genuine. <laughs> Everything, the Guardian has to make a feature. And even though I haven't paid for a subscription, I keep reading their articles. I'm like one of those cheap bastards. Uh, so that thing called Tommy and Pam or Pam and Tommy. And um, they made a documentary or, hey, not a documentary. It's a show about uh, their affair and that sex tape and how they raise kids, or whatever, and apparently, it's like Pamela Anderson doesn't want, she, she's like, what the fuck, I, I don't like it, and uh, strangely, when I heard that, um, <laughs> I don't know, man, Pamela Anderson is such a, such an such such important part in my heart, uh, other parts as well, but it was, it was uh, quite sad to hear that they made a show with, with her not giving consent, and it's strange, right, like when, she was doing Baywatch and whatever happened. And this is something that I'm sure even other people now, um, maybe something they should be aware of that once you're out there, you're out there. They, people just take it and run with it, whatever is out there. So yeah, it's important to know what you're putting out there. Um, because it's, it's ridiculous now, like the, the access to, you know, risque material is so easy that you might say, oh, I got an extra number of thousand likes because I put up a more revealing pic. But that is one step away from next thing. Maybe it's a video, maybe next next thing. But yeah, you might get more attention, but you also can get exploited is what I'm maybe trying to say. But um, speaking of getting exploited, yeah, this thing really pissed me off. This guy, apparently, I okay, for those of you who haven't heard the podcast before, uh, you don't know me, I'm sure... You probably have already tuned out by now, so fuck you. Um, it's it's it's. I'm from Bangalore. I live in Bangalore, and I do um, have a fast tag because this is what is relevant. I've got a fast tag for for a couple, two cars. Now I don't drive one, obviously because I don't drive either. But I, one car is my wife's, and she leaves uses it with within the city. And we have another one which we sometimes take outside. Now, the fast tag wallet is common for both the cars and my wife's car as i said hasn't left the city hasn't crossed a toll in almost a year almost two years let's make it let's make it five years right let's make it one month whatever let's make it well, what is important is that 
there's a guy sitting at Chaukiman Toll Plaza, which I found out is somewhere in Haryana. Has to be. This fucking scam always starts there. <laughs> Sorry, is there any Jat boy listing? I'm not saying all of you are. But some of you, more of you than should have this scamish intention, has been using my Fastag license plate. And the first day I got the notice, I'm like, where's my wife going? And she was right next to me. I was like, where are you going with the car? <laughs> it's such a weird feeling. I'm like... Uh, I'm like, Nibs, do you think someone's stolen our car? She's like, I came back from work two hours back. And I said, do you think someone's taken it and gone? I'm like, but but then I looked up where's Chaukiman Toll Plaza. And okay, actually, the first couple of days, um, I just let it go. I'm like, maybe it's a glitch. But then I was like, is someone taking my car? Then the next thought was like, let me Google where Chaukiman Toll Plaza is. And turns out it's in the north. It's in somewhere, Chandigarh or Haryana, one of these things. I'm like, what the fuck? And it's continuing. It's it's happened now for the past, since Jan 1st. Um, and my wallet is just being drained. And every time I top it up, because sometimes when we go out, as I said, I take the other car, because it's linked to this wallet. It comes with penalty fees. Like, you have not... I'm like, what the hell? I'm basically funding some fucker uh, his commute every day. 50 bucks. And seven, it's a 50-20, 50-20, 50-20. at least 15 transactions like this. So finally... Clearly, I didn't. I'm lazy because clearly, six weeks later, <laughs> I I woke up and I'm like, this is outrage. This outrageous. This behavior by this Haryana boy, uh, or man, or woman, or maybe it's a, it's a Haryanvi who's doing this ridiculous shit, fast tag stealing. So I called up, and the people who man the HDFC fast tag toll free number. Also seem like they, they live near Chaukiman Toll Plaza because I pressed English as an option and they speak English like they speak Hindi, man. It's crazy. Like, hala. It's like, no, no insult. I mean, for, of course, yeah, fuck them. Uh, but first of all, the call dropped four times. The moment I entered all the options, I got to the place and she's like, hello. I said, I have a complaint. Sir, you are not, you are not able heard. And I was like, hello, hello, hello. And they just cut, dropped the call. Of course, I'm going to get a lot of hate for my... Um, impersonation which was bang on by the way of this toll operator not the toll operator the toll free number operator remember the story has a toll and a toll free number operator so the toll free number operator got cut off three times finally a lovely lady uh, i don't know if she's lovely but a lovely helpful person came and said okay what's your problem i said explain explain this 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 and she said oh you have to send an email to fast tag disputes at hdfcbank.com in case you are a person dealing with the same issue i just dropped you a very helpful lead which is the email address i have to i had to send screenshots of all the transactions plenty of them i think 11 screenshots a photo of the front of my car not the back because of course you don't trust people from the back because there could be someone else with the li- same license plate number as the front <laughs> man <laughs> and uh, the RC card or the registration card, whatever, the RC copy. So I'd send that and then I got an acknowledgement saying your email has been received and acknowledged. Our team will investigate. If it needs more time, five days is the minimum we will investigate. So I hope if you are that piece of crap sitting in Chaukiman Toll Plaza using, again, I got another message, 20 bucks. I, I don't know what, I, do you guys know what will happen? Because I don't know if I'm going to get reimbursed. But I just don't want to top up every time for another guy's fucking commute. <laughs> I find that pretty ridiculous. Yeah, I don't want to reimburse. I just wanted to stop. But I think otherwise, I just have to close that wallet and get a new fast tag for both cars. But if I ever do visit Chaukiman Toll Plaza, I'm going to, yeah. Anyhow, um, yeah. 
interesting things. And as I said, man, uh, today's guest had a pleasure. Um, had a pleasure. Clearly, the toll-free operators rubbed off on me. Not rubbed off. Oh, come on, Sandeep. Choice of words. I don't think you want to be rubbed off by... Yeah. Um, today's guest, what can I say about him? I, I, I met him for the first time on the podcast, Anirudh Karni Sethi. He's an author. He hosts the Echoes of India podcast, the Yuddha podcast about um, military history. Um, uh, he's going to... We, 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 again, it, we speak about his area of interest and what he loves studying and writing about and talking about, which is history, more importantly, medieval history, and more important, more specifically, uh, medieval history specific to the southern region, the Deccan region. Um, just the ideas of how history isn't something we have to look at mainly through the main texts or the main narrative. The idea that, you know, history exists in isolation uh, dynasties and empires exist in isolation. Uh, we talk about how they, the, the, the sort of global phenomena. We talk about the globalization that existed, trade, influences, cultural um, sort of interaction and cu- cultural marriages and like the, the, the mixing bowl that we talk about, the melting pot that existed then. And how we can sort of learn about what we are going through and how history is actually continue, con, 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 do, do, continues to um, live on as we live on. And um, I think the, the biggest thing is just not to look back and say, oh, history is done and sort of take parts of it to suit our convenience, but to also just say this is the larger picture. So Anirudh has done a great job uh, of bringing that to life in our conversation. And of course, I ask him a lot of questions, which I then don't let him answer. <laughs> but yeah, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying to let them speak. I think Anirudh has uh, done a great job of sharing what he has uh, covered in his, um, you know, life. As, as He's not a historian, he says so himself, but someone who loves studying and researching and writing and talking about it. So he'll tell you about that about his book, The Lords of the Deccan, which is out now. You can pick it up on Amazon or any bookstore. And uh, do read it, of course. You must read it. And I'll listen to it when it's out in audio. But before that, you must listen to my conversation with Mr. Anirudh Khanisethi, coming up right up on the other side. Thank you for listening as always. And do tell anyone you love about the podcast. Till next time, goodbye, God bless. Cheers, and see you on the other side. Mr. Anirudh Khanisethi, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me, Sandeep. I'm doing great. Congratulations on the Lords of the Deccan. Sounds very exciting. Uh, I hope it comes out in audio. Uh, I want people to find out about the book. You'll tell me about that. But man, it's interesting that you have picked this place to sort of focus your, your writing and your um, area of study. And you're also a consultant with the museum. Uh, in Bangalore, which you'll talk, tell me about. But where did this all begin? Like, it, 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 this had to have a seed somewhere, right? Oh yes, yes. Uh, it's it's a, it's a rather it's a rather non-intuitive place for uh, obsession with history. But uh, it all began for me with gaming. Uh, I mm-hmm. my 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 dad's younger brother, my uncle, he actually got me a bootleg copy of Age of Empires uh, when I think I was like uh, 
10 or something mm. um and um and then i was absolutely obsessed with it you know this very this, yeah. this whole idea that oh how you know history is actually this progression that happens from one period to another you know there's mm. all these kingdoms that rise and fall um and i i got absolutely absolutely obsessed with it like there was a whole point in my 5th grade when yeah. um i was i was claiming to wake up early because i had to like study for my exams yeah. whereas in reality i was waking up early because i wanted to play age of empires for a few hours before i went to what, was that a computer game or was it a, a yes, like yes, a it playstation was, it, was, it was a computer game okay okay um and um and that 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 interest that really sparked something off you know i used to read a lot as a child i used to read a lot of um encyclopedias um because i kind of grew, i spent a few years of my life in the us uh-huh. um where there was like a really like lively library culture which we don't necessarily have in the same way here like yeah. uh libraries are very much community centers you will have uh here they more who... photocopy stuff for your projects right <laughs> basically yes, yes basically. just go and, to the state uh, library and get uh, maps yeah yeah exactly i mean yeah, I, yeah, I totally get what you're saying that whole idea of the reading room you pick up exactly. a book and here yeah. it's it's more strict like don't make noise that's what a library is sort of reminded uh, in my thing right you're not supposed to take food in don't make noise and go out of the thing <laughs> exactly and and also mm. in american libraries you can actually borrow books and take them home mm. uh, i remember that i was you know that the librarians were always shocked that i would borrow like six books a week and return mm. them like on the dot on sunday and take another six books <laughs> um but actually, actually- there's a great library back in bangalore called ellur Huh, and huh. they had a very sort of they encouraged this so like places like um, uh what what what's the shop um which is very popular in bangalore like, my god i can't believe i'm going to remember blossom the name blossom yes yeah yeah so blossom and ellur i think they try try, try to revive or at least restore or keep, maintain that sort of reading culture for people and youngsters and i think a lot of enthusiasts go there to you know get recommendations and i think that's as you what what you're saying sort of strikes a bell right like if you if you have an enthusiastic librarian saying oh it's great you know you would if you like this you might like this i think yeah. it's a really nice thing to have exactly and and you end up like actually just discovering so much going yeah. to a library right like way beyond what you would ever be exposed to in school mm-hmm. because you actually encouraged to like read for joy and not read to study um i and that i changes I, the context in your exactly. mind right exactly yeah. it, it 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 makes learning into into a, into into a journey of fun it's, it's not something that you're doing for a particular outcome you're not doing it for writing an exam you're not doing it to get a particular kind of job you're just reading it to learn yeah. and to enjoy yourself um and i've noticed you know that really sorry uh, i'm just adding to that point i, I hmm. really feel when when you do that when you read with that kind of um perspective you're you 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 absorb a lot more because you're not worried that you're going to be judged and tested on it exactly. and your appreciation for whatever it may be whether it's you know sometimes people just go back to reading math textbooks or reading science journals like the the nature magazine or whatever right and the the entire sort of learning is exponential because you're like wait a second i really like watching this i you know it's really cool exactly um i found very interesting especially like like indian adults Mm-hmm. um we 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 accept that you know science and maths these are all things that are constantly learned right we are, we are mm. constantly engaging with um newspapers and you know journal articles like you said but when it comes to history there's there's this weird sense that you know if we didn't learn it in school we are not going to bother ever learning about it we're just going to like have this this feeling that history is something boring and we all yeah. done it in school and school messed up our understanding of it and we'll never try to change that um but for me at least i mean i like most senior adults i had like a fairly boring history syllabus in yeah, school yeah. um and it was only really as an adult that i began to realize that 
god damn this is actually a really fascinating subject yeah um and ironically enough this this brilliant realization came to me uh, when i was sitting in engineering college of all places as as um, the place where epiphanies do hit you yes, <laughs> looking at uh, that fan going slowly going what the fuck is going yeah, on why why am why have i why have i, why have I done this to myself <laughs> why have i taken this choice and that to life? payment seat yeah, <laughs> I mean, exactly. i'm sure not in your case but in many cases like oh god i wasted money on this yeah, yeah. yeah. no I, i was i was in bitspilani so i mean yeah we had to pay okay. for it and it was pretty, it was pretty expensive yeah, um, yeah, yeah but yeah i mean the 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 best thing that can be said of 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 the way that bits at least encouraged me to learn is that mm. um i didn't have to go to class uh, i had a 0% attendance and okay. that means that meant i had an awful lot of time to play games and to read nice. um and we also had like some pretty interesting courses i was doing a i was doing a minor in philosophy economics and politics alongside my uh, major in electronics and instrumentation mm-hmm. um and i used to study way more for my minor than i would did for my major i learned so mm. much nice. about uh, yeah about about the way the world works you know and like about how yeah. uh, especially about like uh, like ideas from the humanities um which yeah. I, there's i feel like for a lot of at least for a lot of younger engineers is almost this kind of a uh, suspicion of the humanities right yeah yeah um, yeah it's but, almost like the other side the dark side right yeah exactly exactly and and i feel like for a lot of people the humanities you know it's it's, it's the other way around engineers this, are do you think there's a lot of black and white because just from what you're saying right there's this <laughs> sense i'm getting like and i feel this a lot that if you are um, in 10 standard go pcmb or you know or you go commerce it's almost like that's the end of it and i have a major problem with that right because if you're an anthropology student i think knowing a little bit of biology and a little bit of chemistry really will help because if you're discovering like i mean it'll help become an archaeologist or it'll help you become a researcher or a historian i think everything exists and coexists and not uh, doesn't have to be studied in isolation and 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 i feel the biggest point from what you what i really enjoy but what you've done and continue to do is that and you kind of will sort of help through your example is tell people that education doesn't have to end with your degree and i think a lot of people think that oh i finished my masters my phd that's it now it's work but exactly what you are proving is that education is throughout life it's not education for an exam or for a job it's educating your mind educating how you change and how you sort of look at the world in different ways which is beautiful so i just wanted to sort of slip that in before you continue no no that's that, that's a very astute point and thank you so much for actually bringing it out more clearly um and i i that's exactly what i'm getting at is that um i feel like our approach to education uh, in at least at least for a middle class indian kid mm. is very much that you know the point of education is that you must struggle and suffer until your 10th grade and then you struggle and suffer till your 12th grade and yeah. you struggle and suffer through four years and yeah. then you then you get to live life and but but that idea of living life is basically that you have you know a cushy corporate job which crushes your soul for five days a week and then on the weekend maybe you go on a trek once in a while and yeah. and I, i feel like that that that's a kind of a there's so much more to life than that it, it's so um and partially because i think because of my unique experience in engineering um where i actually mm-hmm. ended up like reading way more about like the humanities than about engineering yeah. um like exposed me to this very interesting cocktail of ideas you know my my horizons really ended up broadening yeah um and it also um it also like hit home to me as i was reading because if if you look for stuff about indian history on amazon right yeah you'll see like nilakantha shastri's history of south india which was written in i think the first edition was written in the freaking 1930s mm. um and it hasn't been like substantially revised up till now so we're talking about mm. a book that has been the only major resource about south indian history for mm. 90 years 
Um, wow. It's which is absolutely crazy. You th- you you look up you look up um, any other part of the world. You look up ancient Rome. You look up ancient Greece. You find something has been written either this year or last year by yeah. a well-established academic. You know, and it's also usually well written in, in an engaging way. Yeah. Um, in comparison, and new documents have come to the surface, and you yes, find yes. out new things and the lies which were hidden or or truths which were you know kind of smeared. All those things keep changing because the interest of researchers like you come in and make the thing but if it's not there then it's just like you take it for granted okay this was said and we'll just believe what was said exactly and so here's the fascinating thing if you look at like you you hear like every other month that oh you know metro was metro station was being built in in this part of rome and yeah. this priceless ancient roman villa was found and you know archaeologists <laughs> are like all over it and like yeah. a new museum is set up there now in comparison you still hear in india for example that oh you know new inscription of such and such dynasty discovered yeah. um and usually there'll be a little bit of hangama in the, in the news there'll be like one article about it and that's yeah. it it's finished um there's no like ecosystem the way there is in the west where you know have you have these and academics and media producers who come yeah. in and like oh like, damn let's do something cool here and you and set to up a museum protect it right like here yeah. it's like what is what, what, because the emphasis is not given to I mean, because immediately it becomes political, right? Like if it's yeah. something which is from this dynasty, some party will be like, "No, no, that's ours," and other yeah. party will be like, "No, that's theirs," and it becomes infighting. Exactly. I, but it's it's what you're saying is so sad that we don't cherish that 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 sort of that 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 importance to that period or to, is is not given the the value that um, the the people in certain Western countries or Eastern countries are, do it because there it's non-religious, it's non-political. It's like wait a second, this is a part of this land and it doesn't matter whether it's got any significance to a certain community it's just mm. like can we respect it for what it is which is a period in time which this country went through you know this land went through right i feel like i feel like in india we have a tendency to only think of something as relevant and worth giving attention to if it directly connects to some kind of modern day idea of ours mm. um so we would like something if it if it supports our idea of like oh you know this is what xyz nation stands for this is what xyz religion stands for and yeah. any any evidence that kind of like questions or challenges that must be either rejected or somehow like you know shoehorned into that narrative rather than allowing it to speak for itself and to allowing it to reveal a much grander and larger truth um can you give an example just for context like maybe something um you know so, which sure can i mean relate to uh, in present day because i i i'd love to hear something for sure which, for sure yeah yeah so if you if you think of the excavations at kiradi for example in tamil nadu okay. um they're absolutely fascinating because they revealed to us that there was some kind of urban culture in tamil nadu um many many centuries before the sangam period which is when yeah. we know of a lot more uh, towns and coastal ports emerging in tamil nadu and all this poetry starting uh, and the emergence of the chola chera and pandya kingdom so there was yeah. clearly something earlier happening there um but there has been a tendency to try and see it as proof that uh the indus valley people um mm. literally living on on the other side of the subcontinent came and yeah. set up a colony there um oh that's the connection they've come from the northwest frontier that's that's the belief there but ah. the evidence supporting that is actually very very fragmentary and very very questionable Mm. but the way that it was covered in the media was that this was basically proof that the harappans were here um another example that i could give you is of the excavations at sinoli um sinoli is this site in i think it's in haryana mm. and uh, they found their chariots uh, dating to around i think uh, 1400 to 1200 bc um mm. and this was immediately interpreted as proof that oh this these were the people of the mahabharata 
um whereas the archaeologists have spoken to have more or less told me that what we can say is that these this is actually a totally unique culture that was contemporary yeah. with the harappans um but had a you know but but organized a society in a totally different way we have no idea what they call themselves and they were also engaging in global trade because as evidence of like gold and silver and other metals that they were importing from as far away as anatolia um mm. which they would have only been able to get because you know haryana is landlocked uh, yeah. they were only got it by trading with the harappans who were actually connected to the world at the time now mm. if you are able to actually appreciate this culture as a totally unique thing uh, mm. an aspect that we had no idea of you know that actually goes beyond this binary thinking of uh, harappans and aryans and so on um what it reveals is that we actually don't know anything about how amazing the past actually was yeah. uh, we have no we cannot even imagine what we don't know um and mm. when something that when something new comes up if the immediate instinct is to try and fit it into what we do know and ignore the stuff that is not convenient to that narrative um and to only fund the stuff that is convenient to the narrative because there were immediately all these documentaries that were produced about you know the secrets of the, the warrior women of sinali and all that i mean yeah um they don't allow you to appreciate the uniqueness of of what may have actually been what might what might actually have been existing in the past um as as i as i, as I really like saying the the less we try to force our ideas on the past um yeah. the more we can appreciate the wonder of what it really was um the the second that we actually allow the evidence to speak for itself the second we kind of take a step back and say this is our shared heritage and how can we actually uh, be better custodians of it how can we actually understand it as it may have been meant and how can we actually understand and appreciate the fact that things change over history and it's not just these unchanging monoliths um the the better we can the, the better inheritors we can be of the heritage uh, that we all collectively right. have inherited as indians and it almost sounds you know and it's it's, it's almost like we are holding on so tight to our beliefs that we don't want to let the new information um sort of broaden our horizon right it's almost like okay. we've been taught this that's it it's almost like we mugged this up i don't any more information because it's going to challenge the way i'm thinking right exactly and and this sounds like if you actually let these nuances like okay this group doesn't have to be the group that we think it is which is what the major text it's almost like we have these major brands and that's all that has to be propagated the smaller brands are not given a chance to flourish <laughs> because it doesn't suit the narrative in the, by the majority right or whoever it is but so so what does someone like you do then say you have this 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 thing which has come from gaming it sort of then sort of took further root when you were reading these textbooks in your engineering program which is of course great that you were allowed to take courses um in your minor which were philosophy and economics and various other things that sort of also go to shaping your interest further in this space from there where is the next step for a researcher like you to go into the sort of deccan region of india where do you find your t- uh, information uh, more importantly where do you start so i feel like the basic thing that i try to do with all my <clears throat> work now is um there's this concept called historical literacy and mm-hmm. when i say historical literacy i don't mean in the terms of knowing that xyz things happened and you know like say exactly. oh, yeah, we didn't know about this this was all hidden from us by some conspiracy of school yeah. teachers and therefore yeah. we must find this out um for me it's more about how do i teach people about the way that history is written um because as i began to read all these academic texts about indian history i realized that historians are actually there there are a lot like detectives in the sense that mm. 
they will go and they will try to find evidence and they will try not to like let their biases and their ideas affect that and they will try to construct a narrative saying that okay so maybe this is what this evidence means maybe this is how we're going to interpret it yeah. now contrast this to how history is talked about on social media for example you know you'll have mm-hmm. some some individual who'll take us a, a photo of some random out of context uh you know paragraph from some book and say this is proof of this horrible terrible thing or this amazing glorious mm. magnificent thing yeah. and if you if you don't if you don't immediately agree with this then you are you know a traitor to such and such cause i think that's that line that that three words you no know, out of context this this exactly. just sounds like that's the that's the byline of our society today Yes yes and it, it applies not just to the way we talk about history but also to everything. the way we talk about everything yeah like media yeah. in general the way that the outright the outrage cycle is maintained is by mm-hmm. taking these like you know taking these random quotes by by people who you know are controversial and then blowing them up into these news articles and getting a whole yeah. cycle going and you know keeping your engagement numbers up you know but to suit that narrative as you said earlier exactly. to suit that same way you're spouting out that same nonsense or so called truth you just keep finding re, uh, things to reaffirm that belief system which is uh, so easy to do when you can just copy paste or cut and paste things which are not meant to be taken out of that particular exactly. context yeah so what i try to do is i try to provide that context i try to right. show people okay so let's let's step away from you know these academic books because i have tremendous respect for historians but with, with yeah. but they are not writing for the for the common person they're yeah. writing for other academics yeah. um so let's try to understand the substance of what they're saying and mm. say it in a way that is relatable and interesting to young folks you know mm. bring them along on this detective story yeah, um, yeah. so and and once 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 i bring them along on the story what is this fascinating path that is actually revealed once we let go of our biases learn how to read the evidence and let the evidence tell us these stories um so for example in my echoes of india podcast i always intersperse mm-hmm. every episode with a voice actor actually reading out the primary sources so you know there will be like yeah. there will be like an excerpt from a play by kalidasa or there'll be you know somebody uh, speaking in the voice of a king you know reading from a king's inscription yeah. uh, and then i'll say okay so this is what the king claims but can it be what he actually means um, so you have a distinction you're the interpreter in that situation exactly so nice. i i kind of break the fourth wall and bring yeah. my audience along on that kind of journey um and and the objective is not to to give them this dry and boring lesson on um how history should be read and how to understand history it's to say yeah. Okay, you know what? This is the this is what the stale old, you know, the the the, the graybeards of the 20th century, you know, the distinguished fathers of uh, <laughs> yeah. Indian history have proclaimed to us. Yeah. But should we really believe in that? And once you move beyond that, his utterly fascinating world that is revealed. Um right. if you if you think about Gandhara for example which is this region in northwest India and and uh-huh. north and Pakistan um which was basically this essentially the crossroads of the ancient world uh, where you yeah. had cultures from you know the the Indo-Greeks to uh, the Bactrians the Scythians the Kushans all these central asian tribes coming in and going mm. and also interacting with indian religions and, and indian preachers so um i for example talk of a debate between a buddhist monk called Nagasena and a Indo-Greek king called manando um and there's even more insane examples are you know for example that um the way we think about skanda today you know shiva's mm-hmm. son um mm-hmm. is actually very much influenced by the way that the kushanas who are a central asian people uh mm-hmm. imagined their military god mahasena which is that ah. he is a strapping young man wearing armor and holding a spear 
And to this day, in temples across the country, you will see that same basic idea repeating, right? Mm. Um, and here's the thing: when 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 we look at Southeast Asia, we really like saying that, oh yeah, these are actually Indian gods, and the, the, we actually went and like we gave them this idea. Yeah, But when yeah, it comes yeah. to other cultures influencing us, there's almost this tendency to kind of like reject and push it back and say, no, 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 no. this actually came from us from this random source from back. But that's yeah. not how people work, right? Well, we're how... a country that loves Indianizing everything from yes. Hollywood movies. We put an Indian <laughs> spin. But when it comes to someone saying, no, no, this is an influence from say this tribe, we're like, no, 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 that's Indian. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. But here's the thing: can you can yeah. you can we can we legitimately with a straight face claim that genes are Indian? You know. <laughs> We're not going to claim jeans Indian. We're not going to claim, claim McDonald's is Indian. Yeah. Um, instead, we are going to say, you know, the McAloo Tiki is Indian. Right? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So that's Correct. that's how we need to think about the the ancient world as well. Is that yeah. certainly just like today, it was a globalized world. You have cultural okay. influences coming and going from all these different regions, mm. um, but they always take on these distinctly Indian forms. And uh, mm. similarly, when they move from India to elsewhere, they also they again take on these distinctly local forms. You'll see these, yeah. uh, for example, you see that Buddhism, even though originates in in bihar yeah goes into uh, gandhara in northwest india takes on this this unique form comes into andhra takes this unique form goes from gandhara into central asia takes a different form goes into china takes a different form yeah. um instead of like trying to fit everything into this um into into this very simplistic need to always prove that being indian was superior yeah. seeing india as part of this much larger fraternity this network of interconnected cultures that are always giving and taking from each other yeah. um it makes you realize that wow you know the ancient world was actually very similar to ours um it has the same kind of uh, creativity and innovations and also has um some stuff that we we might not necessarily want to be proud of yeah, um yeah, yeah. because if you look at our world sandeep like anybody will tell you they are not happy with the way our world is so you know i this these 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 issues i don't agree with with how the world is looking yeah but when it comes to our past somehow it must always conform to our needs of some kind of utopian society and it must always tell us that being that the past was the glorious place and we must want to go back to it yeah but nobody living in the past thought that they were living in the past they were like they're, they're not they're not waking up and saying oh wow i'm i'm a nice ancient indian today is the ancient period and tomorrow it'll be the medieval yeah. period and we like, forget we forget you know sometimes that everything happened in real time right exactly. uh, we either we as you said you either have a romantic view and and even you do this even as early as your childhood like you look back going oh school was so amazing i could play but when you were a kid waking up going you don't go i'm a kid enjoying school right <laughs> you, it's 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 so weird that we have this tendency forget to forget and either romanticize or demonize also right saying i exactly. hated my childhood but it's it's it, you have to take it in even there it's context right because uh, what's important i think uh, what you're saying is that in that if you take that time if you were a time traveler if i go back in time i don't think the 5th century BCE was a good time for a visually impaired person because you yeah. you know I don't think they or they might have had great footpaths or they, because I complain saying Bangalore footpaths are horrible I can't walk down the road with my cane but I still have an iPhone which can read out to me right yeah, now yeah. did that um will the 5th century I I can't transport myself so what do I do I have to look at the information available for what it is as opposed to going oh it's great to uh i wish i was in the era of the game of thrones or something yeah, like yeah, that yeah. right because you would not have survived for very long i don't speaking. think so i would have fallen off the fortress wall <laughs> quite quickly along with Tyrion lannister <laughs> yes yes um and that's the thing like how do i put this like imagine somebody like living a thousand years from now yeah. looking back and saying 
oh yeah you know if i was mukesh ambani i would have had the best life ever you know <laughs> yeah. i would have done this i would have done that but and like yeah. that's what that's what it's like when you say oh if i went back to this time i would have been this king and i would have had a great time <laughs> no you would not have had a great time because <laughs> you would more likely than not have been assassinated on your third day or your because... fifth wife would have poisoned you <laughs> <laughs> exactly 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 didn't so... didn't exist back then my friend yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's so weird i actually had a bit about this saying that you know we go back and we discover as you know as 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 archaeologists we took it arrowheads and we say this tribe existed by these lakes in this particular province of america or we go and say this was a part of the indus valley the statue which was proof that yoga existed i mean yeah. you know i have this joke going if that's the case what is our the future like 2000 years down the line some archaeologists is and say in the present mg road area they're like this plastic bag showed at garuda mall <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so yeah 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 like we what are we leaving for our future and, I, and, and that's just a silly joke i cracked when i was thinking about historical context but what in your opinion and in your um sort of past few years of doing the podcast and now research for the book and this sort of love you've developed for this space what do you think is the purpose or what does history serve to teach us or the role of history for people present day and going forward so that's a very interesting question uh, and let me just say that I, i fully agree with your metaphor that is quite literally exactly how we talk about history is that we just mm-hmm. take these things and um if if you look at uh, the the remnants that these medieval kings left right um yeah. they would they would have they would have donated something to a temple and then leave a little grant you know written in mm-hmm. copper plate or on stone saying oh i was so great and i was so amazing and i was so <laughs> devout and i was so humble and yeah. i know i killed so many people and i destroyed so many cities but i'm i'm really early, i'm really down to earth and i'm i'm so nice and yeah I, I, imagine somebody a thousand years from now taking an ad by some political party and saying oh wow you know xyz politician is claiming he did this this is proof he actually did this he must have actually done this everybody yeah. must have loved him that's the exactly person how- who had the contrary view was either quashed or killed or put into some cell and tortured saying shut <laughs> exactly. up yeah but that's the thing that's the thing if you look at the way that we think about history that's it's exactly that you know you will have people who literally look at what these kings said and interpret them with no nuance and make the past yeah. out to be this kind of utopic world and right. that is why i think it is so important to understand history because understanding history uh, helps you understand our own world better mm-hmm. um once you begin to understand the nature of historical change once you begin yeah. to realize for example how old globalization is um right. once you begin to understand that the, this this impulse to kind of pretend that we are much much nicer than we actually were this impulse right. to silence criticism this impulse to kind of bring together religion and power um the 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 impulse to create states and to rule over people very often with violence yeah is very very fundamental to the way that humans are as as mm-hmm. a species um yeah. and it helps you understand not only the past but also the present better right yeah. um you you very rarely see people going on asking why should i understand economics better or why should i understand maths or science better yeah. um and yet with history that question always rises up um because history is taught to us as nothing more than this dry sequence of one damn thing happening after another mug um, up the dates for board exams that's yes, it yeah yes exactly and that's what it's reduced to but that's not what yeah. history is history is literally it is to me it is the most multidisciplinary and fascinating of all human intellectual achievements because you cannot understand just as you cannot understand our world without yeah. understanding anthropology sociology political mm-hmm. science um ethics philosophy um and 
economics um, science you just as you can understand our world thought of that and things even like even you know you can go into more detail like nutrition exactly. you go into like physical thing like where they are sed- more sedentary uh, society where they uh, things because we're learning now that you know there are certain things that people ate that made them better people live longer live more uh, in sort of touch with nature as opposed to people who just exploited and sort of raped the land and just moved on right so different there were different past uh, things right in the past there were groups that were more in sync with nature and there were groups which were more um how, what's the word like marauders right like where they would just kind of ruin the land and move to a next one right so so that's the thing right if you if you understanding our world requires mm-hmm. multiple disciplines similarly understanding history requires multiple disciplines yeah yeah as we begin to understand our world we begin to really see what humans all have in common rather than things that set us apart and the mm-hmm. same applies for history as well because understanding history is understanding our own world in a younger state it right. is populated by people with the same fundamental human impulses in us you know the same capacity for wonder and innovation and creativity and the same capacity for greed and avarice and cruelty um yeah. and and to really see these these endless stories these endless little human individual stories alongside these grand processes of historical change you know like mm. economic networks unfolding interactions happening across wider and wider swathes of the world yeah. you begin to like really appreciate the 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 wonder of what we have achieved in our modern world where mm. and and this is what i this is why i find it very surprising we were talking about this earlier you said you said um if i went back to the 5th century bc i won't have survived very long <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean that's even if you weren't visually impaired and all that the mm. kind of food that you would have had to eat um the kind of back breaking labor you would have had to do in your farm or the fact that some marauding army would have just like come by and <laughs> taken away you know your your food and that was it you were finished or there would that's be a famine it. and you would just starve to death you know um yeah. and and you wouldn't have been educated you wouldn't have been allowed to learn you would have hardly have had a a, a sense of the fr- you would have known a fraction of all, all of all of human knowledge today yeah. anybody can learn practically anything through the internet yeah. you have health, we have healthcare we have food available at ridiculously relatively cheap prices compared to how expensive it used to be in the past yeah. we have much better nutrition we have much better i mean everything is has improved and it kind of shows yeah. you that how far have we come as a people yeah. um yeah. that that we are no longer constrained to you know the opportunities being available to the top 1% i'm not not to say that, that isn't still the case but now there's yeah, more yeah. opportunities and we can do Definitely more at least higher quality for more people yes. i mean earlier 1% would get everything and of course now 1% gets a lot more yeah. but the but earlier the other 90% would go without food at all now exactly. at least they have little more food it's it's not great it's not great but i'm sure the person in the 5th century bc would i mean i think everyone in their situation would bitch right would be like ugh the society sucks i'm sure that existed even in, in the 5th century of course, bc of course. but uh, they would also probably been like oh god man you know it's it's horrible this 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 uh, price of you know vegetables have gone up and it's it's what i like what you're saying is we forget that they were also humans yeah. with very human like feelings Yeah, uh, yeah we we kind of either as you said we either make them godlike or we make them demon like or we make them frozen in time which they, which they aren't right 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, in in my podcast, actually, my favorite podcast I've ever recorded mm-hmm. uh, is where I'm walking through the city of ancient Ujjain, uh, and mm-hmm. happen to end up in the courtesan district, and I meet two guys who are sitting and gossiping about life in the city, <laughs> as uh, we all do. <laughs> exactly, and that's the thing. We don't imagine that ancient people are gossiping. You don't imagine yeah. that ancient people are sitting and making puns or you know, like whining about this or the other politician. Yeah. Um, we assume that they were all up in oh. Our main job in life is to be sanskari. We want yeah. to go to a temple. That's all we want. They were not all doing yoga, chilling, right? <laughs> exactly. They were not just sitting meditating. They had the equal of being on Facebook, complaining, going, "Oh my God, you know, hashtag my life sucks." <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> But it was done in a town square. Yeah. So I mean, just to, just to bring answer your question, the reason yeah. why you should study history is because it really helps you understand where who we are. Yeah. It really helps us understand where we need to go. Mm-hmm. um because it gives you a sense of this grand arc of historical change and why mm-hmm. history changes and it also shows you how you can change it for the better um yeah. and that to me fundamentally is what you need to do with history history is about discovering your humanity and the humanity of thousands and countless people that you could never even have imagined mm. no it's it sounds really like they're the same people it's just the it's just the time the technology and certain other elements have moved on and i mean the planet if we go down that path it's a long conversation for another day hopefully it's such an old planet and of course if you know if you read the likes of graham hancock and you look at those ancient civilizations which were destroyed or existed who knows but as i said it's a different conversation for another day but it's i think important for what you're doing exactly reminding us that hey they they, are, they were real people with real issues and history captured that but of course certain parts of the stories which were told were either exaggerated or hidden for whatever agenda that person who interpreted it did but it's literally this what what we can take highlights so we can it's like watching a match right just taking the highlights saying this is all it was as opposed to the bad parts of the thing but it's in reality take it all for what it is and it happened in that particular time so let, let's if go into the part of history that the era the area that you are really sort of interested in focusing on and that's of course being the south of india the deccan and of course we can talk about your book after that so so from what you've studied in this region um what has the progression been like has it been peaceful has it been benevolent leaders who looked after their population so just can you i know it's a broad number of years to cover but in a nutshell how has it been how's our past looking anirudh has it been are we coming from a good past <laughs> there is there is no part of earth that has only ever been ruled by benevolent leaders <laughs> right that is the nature of humanity you know mm-hmm. there is that violence is integral to the way that history works right. um it is integral to the way that states function you know because if you're if you're a farmer you know you're having you're having a decent enough life you know you hunt once in a while you know you have a mm-hmm. nice little crop and all that you're not going to give it away for free to some guy from some random city who's coming saying oh, yeah if you don't if you don't pay me the king's you know army is going to come and beat the crap out of you you know you, yeah, it's, yeah. states are based fundamentally on violence and to this day i mean if you if you don't pay your taxes you're going to end up in you might not get you know, whacked uh, physically yeah. but you will definitely get slapped with all kinds you'll of you'll be other reprimanded things. exactly yeah. you, you'll get yeah. a big trouble right so yeah. it is integral to the way that states work and very often unlike in our world where at least there is technically some semblance of democratic accountability from yeah. the leaders to the ones they rule over 
There was nothing That's of that sort. For, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> sorry, hope for. Uh, yeah. Uh, less that said, less that I say about that, the better. Yeah, yeah um, exactly. That's a slippery slope. Let's uh, not go down but, there. Yeah. But but in terms of how the medieval world worked, I mean, imagine literally that your all your hopes, like let's say that you had a famine or two, you know, mm. and the only way that your family is going to be fed the next, you know, the next year is if the king agrees to reduce taxes. Ah. And who is the king? The king is some perfumed you know millionaire sitting in some distant city uh, mm. whose main goal in life is to like raise an army and go and fight some other king who insulted him terribly by i don't know twirling his mustache the wrong way when they were having mm. dinner together or something like that some perceived insult uh, yeah, yeah exactly right and like while there are also of course there are grander like geopolitical regions why conflicts happen between regions and all that yeah. um fundamentally we have to keep in mind that kings were also people and yeah. they were people who uh lived completely insulated from the consequences of like how they were affect how their policies affected most of their subjects um okay. they were people who were raised in like extremely extremely wealthy environments uh mm. who are being told almost from birth that you know oh you are the you are the most perfect little prince who ever lived um and they also i mean they would have had very distant fathers they would not have interacted much with their fathers um mm. except on like ceremonial occasions uh their mothers would very often have been powerful women from like you know local aristocratic families um who yeah. as much as they may have loved their kids would also have seen them as political tokens who would have advanced their futures in the court and you would have grown up knowing that all your siblings um would eventually be rivals to your own power if you were going to be say, taking the throne and you you really got to think about like how these people have seen the world you know they would have been like yeah. very cultured very educated for sure but would they really have been fundamentally benevolent and peaceful people yeah. um and the answer to and that mental is mental health issues as well maybe. exactly that that's that's the really big question that nobody is addressing yeah. um i mean you can you can look at more recent dynasties more recent royal families um and see the kind of like horrible succession struggles that they, they've had um mm. and you can pretty much tell that oh yeah damn these, these guys were pretty messed up so i mean <laughs> if you project that into the past the, the picture yeah. that emerges is not of like very nice peaceful kings it's it's a picture of of violent yeah. warlike but also culturally sophisticated and very intelligent and erudite rulers um yeah. who, who occupy this fascinating moral gray area which is which is really difficult for us to imagine right yeah. um because the way that we have thought at least about south indian history uh, thanks of course to books that were written in the 20th century um yeah. is that oh yeah you know th- these guys are all like you know they were basically modern people living in pre modern times you know ah, um okay. there's a fascinating book by uh, kalki krishnamurthy this tamil uh, writer called uh-huh. ponniyan selvan which is actually being adopted by maniratnam into a film okay and i find that very interesting because it depicts the chola dynasty as basically a modern tamil family you know you know where the mm-hmm. where the girls are educated where you know they have a lot of influence over the family's decisions etc etc but fundamentally yeah. the job in life is to get married uh, and 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 the men are all you know like devout and like well educated you know benevolent to people below them mm-hmm. um but as i was reading about south indian history because my book is about the medieval deccan uh, which yeah. is the regions corresponding to karnataka maharashtra and parts of telangana right to to the medieval deck in the cholas were the external antagonists um ah, right. and there's a lot of evidence showing that the cholas when they were in the in karnataka uh executed horrific violence uh yeah. we have evidence of cities being burned to the ground uh and literally uh, being plowed with salt the ashes being plowed with Ouch. salt 
by you know by by donkeys uh, so that nothing would ever grow there again there's something mm. that we have evidence of in fact and this is not Deccan sources telling us this it's Chola sources telling us that they did this um, mm. and of course we also have like contrary we have views from the other side we have views from the Chalukya dynasty of the Deccan which is ruling in the 11th century which tell us mm. that you know the Cholas invaded with this tremendous force and they were committing all kinds of atrocities you know burning down cities they are uh, assaulting uh, women en masse um mm. and stuff that is like really quite shocking for us to hear um mm. but even beyond that you know like once once you move beyond the royal court <clears throat> you see there's so much more interesting stuff that's happening to me what is yeah. especially interesting is a global trade uh, we were talking a little earlier about like globalization in the ancient world but globalization in the medieval world is a whole other level mm. because it's it you can actually see the world inching towards that kind of global connectivity like both in terms of depth and in terms of range that we are so accustomed to today uh, we know for example there was this excavation that was done in um, near stockholm in the early yeah. 2000s um where they found of all things a bronze buddha mm. uh, it was made in the 5th or 6th century and it somehow wow. arrived in stockholm within the space of 100 years or so through trade and clearly you know? it was an ikea who brought it there <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> um that's amazing that and okay, just to define the period so what, what medieval would be like the 11th uh, or so 10th to 15th century so, uh, so the the medieval period is actually it's a very very long period um okay. in india at least like most scholars break it up into two halves um there's the early medieval period which is from roughly 600 to 1200 and then okay. there's the late medieval period from 1200 to 1500 after that we enter the early modern period okay um okay. so the medieval period to me is very interesting because um like anybody who has studied history from an indian school textbook would know yeah. the way we taught about it is okay first there was a maurya empire okay yeah. then for 500 years there was nothing then there was the gupta empire then for 500 years there was nothing then there was the delhi sultanate then for like 200 years there was nothing then there was mughals then there was nothing then there was a the british and history over that's all right yeah 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 imagine yeah, if you what taught what those big fill in the blanks right yeah, like exactly. it's yeah you know imagine if you were to teach european history that way okay welcome children so there was this king in france okay <laughs> then a few hundred years there was another king in france and yeah. then a few hundred years there was another king in france and history yeah. over right and now there is macron <laughs> yeah 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 and there's macron that's it that's 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 all of european history for you imagine yeah. ignoring german history british history italian history yeah. greek history spanish history but that's basically what's happening in india like not only do we but also huh. the the silliest thing in that way of approach is that when okay yeah in every every um empire or every dynasty has um it's you know it's worth studying but right. by isolate by ignoring the others what is stupid is that it's it's it obviously the maurya empire was influenced by other things right which yeah. were and those were other things which uh, by studying you understand influence so even if you're a person who's only dedicated to studying say the guptas it's very it's key to understand other dynasties around in that time because you're like exactly. okay as a result it's cause and effect right that's and that's a very interesting point right and i think you've like touched upon something very very important is that the way we think about india's history is based on this artificially lobotomized um mm. j- jigsaw patchwork of like of things that are meant to give us this this particular idea of the past without teaching us more deeply about the nature of historical change and how mm. every region in the subcontinent actually interacted with and influenced each other because yeah. it is you never have such a thing as a purely north indian history or a purely south indian history 
these regions were historically always interconnected we know people and goods and all that were moving through them historically so why do we assume that their history was somehow separate from each other right yeah. um why do we assume that the history of one region is less important than the history of another region which is nonsense yeah. Yeah. I mean, how many of us know about the history of odisha for example like it is it's absolutely shocking to me that nobody knows about the history of odisha how many people know about the history of coastal andhra nobody knows um yeah. even if even if there is some knowledge in 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 one particular state about the glorious dynasties and so on of that state yeah. um they are always taught of these dynasties as somehow being militarily superior or dominant over the other state and like feeling that they have to be proud of or ashamed for some of the other military defeat of some dynasty and some random king uh, thousands of years ago who cares you know yeah. Yeah. um we need to understand that you know our ancestors did not have the same kind of political identities and same ideas of uh, national pride that we do and when i say national pride mm-hmm. i don't just mean in terms of indian pride but also in terms of karnataka pride or maharashtra pride or telugu pride right or north indian pride or south indian pride yeah yeah exactly they it, lived it, it tends to be a lived... bit of a divide now us versus them right like yes. it's it you have to fall into a category i i, I am a kannadiga so i'm proud of karnataka kannada or you know within andhra telangana that divide like they it's become i feel i mean as I, i wanted to just ask you that before you go down the path of the what they experienced hmm. uh, do you feel yeah i mean i i don't take away from the point but with more and more connectivity in today's day and age where we say oh we are the most globalized world it was it, it's ever seen with technological connectivity do you feel there's more of a divide as a result I would say the issue is not connectivity necessarily so much as the way that the connectivity is being used um yeah. because the connectivity is being used by usually by entrenched political interests mm. um to spread this very simplistic us versus them dynamic which they know is politically expedient to them yeah. um which was not really the case historically right historically yeah. the more globalized you could be the prouder you were of who you were that is why most pre modern yeah. indian courts actually went out of the way to be very multi ethnic and to be very multilingual and um, you would thrive right because you would then get say a um, an astrologer like if it's a, if it's a greek ruler he yeah. would get an astrologer from india who would know say certain celestial knowledge or um, would be like the counselor then hmm. you would get say a um, a beautiful you know tra- a craftsman from china so that your court would be filled with multiple a uh, skill people right is that is that what you're saying implying like exactly exactly and it's not you know it's not it's not just courts but also mm-hmm. in terms of how merchant communities went and interacted right mm-hmm. um like you will see every city in south india will have like a you know thriving marwadi population um right. who are like traders you know working like pro- they sell provisions and so on and they usually speak the language i mean i know in at least in hyderabad like in mm-hmm. when growing up in my neighborhood there was a little marwadi uh, kirana store Yeah. They could speak better Telugu than me, like way better Telugu. It was even a competition. I mean, the same thing. Marwadi is in Bangalore. Like you go to a chickpeat, uh, or you go to like a, a, a SB SB road. Yeah, they speak amazing Kannada, right? Exactly. Yeah, and and that's the thing. Like especially in southern India, it was it mm-hmm. has always been a very there there like multiple kind of um, crossroads between the regional language zones where there's mm-hmm. always this very multicultural stuff happening. Yeah yeah so if yeah. you look at north karnataka for example it's like this zone where you know the telugu and kannada and marathi zones all interact uh, mm-hmm. in addition to that you have you know influences coming from the wider persian world so you have this very interesting eclectic mix of languages you see dakni becomes a very big thing there and there's a reason Did why it was persian influence in north karnataka yes yes per, i mean oh, persian wow. okay. i think is a better term for it but persian yeah eight. definitely okay, okay. persian because yes persians were immigrating in fact in the 16th century the bijapur sultanate was 
promoting the use of kannada and marathi in administration and saying no we don't we have enough persians you know you all can go to vijayanagar and vijayanagar was attracting persians to come and settle and you know work as military advisors mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff so that's the nice. thing and and even even up till very recently up till the 19th century uh mm-hmm. even the 20th century we i mean if, if you still have like telugu neighborhoods uh, in 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 bangalore for example uh, yeah, there there were telugu like you know settlements in most of northern tamil nadu you'd have people who yeah. um, who spoke telugu at home and spoke tamil on the streets or post spoke kannada on the streets and they were not and seen as likewise being likewise in marathis yeah yeah exactly exactly and they were not seen as being any less local than anybody else yeah, um, yeah because yeah. it was it was okay to have these multiple identities um they, it it your identity said nothing about your loyalties to your local community right absolutely um, no, which is a really important point exactly which which is something that is not necessarily the case now even though we are much more connected and so why mm. is that is is connectivity is not the issue uh if people could be so multicultural in a world where trans- travel yeah. was so difficult then yeah. it is the filters it is the yeah. way that we think about identity and the political environment and media environment has changed um yeah hmm. so yes that i i hope that answers the question No no it does no it in fact raises more questions <laughs> which is good i think you know like you, know, you speak about hyderabad because i for me hyderabad also is like a second home because mom hmm. grew up there and well, you know she yeah she like she talks about that because she 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 could speak fluent hindi and the hyderabad hindi has got a lot of urdu influence she could speak telugu fluently and her friends were across uh, various groups and 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 that's what i think is such an important thing of history which i like reading now and you know sadly there not too many options fortunately it's increasing the options on audio of indian history being represented in by modern interpretations um is this idea that you do not have to limit yourself to one label saying i am indian or i am south indian or i am kannadiga i am this speaker i am vegetarian it's the idea that man if people earlier would travel by ox cart for days to go meet um uh, you know say 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 to the the main fair or the main uh, the in 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 england times there the, the tourneys right where they would mm. travel and then you would have people from across lands coming and then they would that would be a celebration of humanity right maybe not always it would end up in bar brawls or someone would poison someone of course <laughs> that we have to have that but now it we have all this connectivity you know in a click of a button i'm t- i'm sitting i'm talking to you on zoom or i'm sitting and talking to someone who's a scholar in in amsterdam which is what we should celebrate as opposed to you know using it the wrong way hmm. and and i mean it's not a question it's just sort of you know my little sort of rant about what's happening no, uh, but, but but hmm. what does someone like you so let's go into your in your book and you know maybe talk about that use that as sort of the 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 framework or the backdrop for our next few minutes sure. so lord of the deccans that's your first <laughs> book congratulations again Thank um you. you can go get it uh, and we can put all the details later on the description and it'll be in the description only but how what wh- what was your wh- what was your intention when you set out to write this book so i found very interesting how in 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 this little discussion that you that we just had mm-hmm. uh, you said let's say you know in in medieval england when people mm-hmm. were you know riding on a cart and going to a tourney right are uh-huh. are when you think of the medieval period indians have lost the we don't even know what medieval india was like yeah. if you say the word medieval the immediate thing is game of thrones european knight riding yeah. on this big horse it's all well war of the roses yeah exactly um and i wanted to paint an image of medieval india as as searing and real and morally complex and full of 
brilliant erudite violent people um just like our world is today uh, yeah. i wanted to make it very clear uh, what medieval india was like what its society okay. was like what its polities were like but also tell that within a very engaging narrative of like yeah. not reducing kings and queens to basically these these devout people whose main goal in life was to go and fight one battle and build one mm. temple and and die you know yeah. uh, but rather as complex people with you know with upbringing insecurities and, yeah and insecurities yeah. and and ambitions and how they're struggling to fulfill that fighting against all these other brilliant and ambitious people yeah within the context of a very globalized interconnected time um mm. because there's so much scholarship saying that oh wow you know medieval medieval arabia was very cosmopolitan medieval europe was very cosmopolitan medieval china was very cosmopolitan yeah medieval india was Oh, I don't know. Huh? I guess India doesn't really matter. Yeah. It's just nonsensical. India was. Have you read to... the Mahabharata? <laughs> you know, it's automatically. <laughs> it's like the big daddy always comes in. Yeah, but yeah, yeah I mean, Mahabharata with is with it has been a supremely culturally influential text, but it's just Absolutely. one among tens of thousands, thousands if not hundreds of yeah. thousands of texts that have produced. But and where are those texts, right? Where are those stories? They've mostly just been lost, and that's the utter <laughs> and tragedy of it. Yeah. Is that there may be manuscripts just moldering away in some library somewhere, waiting to be translated. Maybe they're a part of a private collection, and I don't know, sold as like you know firewood or something like that. Because this kind of thing yeah. has happened. Um, no, like in, it's that. That's the weird part, right? It could be sitting in someone's Godrich cupboard. They yeah. didn't even know the significance. Exactly. And these guys are just like uh, it, it's. It's so sad because it, 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 when there's no knowledge of the value of these texts, right? Someone will say, "Oh my God, you have the original copy of the first, you know, Ramayana written, which will go for billions." But then there are they're sitting on like thousands of manuscripts, going because I don't know the value, and no one's taught me how important this period in our history was, or this knowledge was not shared to me. I don't know the worth of restoring it or maintaining it. And none of us do with me, whether it could be temples, or it could be mosques, or it could be buildings, or it could be anything, right? Ar- from architecture to 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 literary works hmm. if we're not shown the value of it we're not going to preserve it with the pride that it deserves right exactly and that's what i wanted the book <clears throat> to make very clear is that why should you care about this history why should and i've written it in a way that is it's designed for indians from all over the country not mm. just for south indians it's not just yeah. oh you know this was a, you're a south indian now be proud of this glorious south indian king it's more like yeah. hey you know you're you're from the indian subcontinent this is how one of the most culturally dominant and influential polities in in the subcontinent's history emerged yeah. these were the historical dynamics that propelled it onwards to this period of extraordinary dominance because for nearly 500 years sandeep um the medieval deccan was the dominant power of the indian yeah. subcontinent um wow, it's a long time Five it's a long time and half a million Exactly and you have like on multiple occasions you have like you know Deccan emperors going and invading North India going and invading uh, the Tamil country like doing all all this all these like really um grandiose ambitious brilliant things you know building these extraordinary temples Mm. and and profoundly impacting um literature and culture and shaping the the pathways of global trade Yeah. nobody knows about this yeah. um nobody <laughs> I, cares about I'm people. clearly like in shock like uh, because I mean I know a little Hmm. uh because of course i've been reading a little but it's it's amazing what you're saying right now that it's for 500 years there were groups from this region being uh, maharashtra karnataka and parts of telangana that were a dominant force i didn't know that like yeah. i didn't know that they were even a force to reckon with right they were they absolutely yeah. were in fact we have evidence from arab <clears throat> travelers during the 9th century who said that 
there are four great kings in the world. Um, the right. first is, of course, the Abbasid Caliph. Uh, the second right. is the Emperor of China. The third is the Emperor of Rome. And the fourth is the Emperor of the Deccan. Um, mm. Which So the, the Deccan was clearly recognized as a global superpower by its contemporaries. Right. But since it did not fit into these modern unitary ideas of what Indian history should look like, it has been mm. totally ignored. Uh, just like ignoring the history of Germany in time, the history of Europe. You cannot understand the history of India without understanding the history of the Deccan. Um, right. And especially in such an important period when the Deccan was such a major cultural, military, economic juggernaut and so yeah. profoundly shaped the history of like the history of Telangana would have been totally different if not for the empires of Karnataka. Um, and then, of course, yeah. in 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 a little beyond that, if you look at you know the 1500s when you have the Vijayanagara Empire, the Vijayanagara Empire's history would have been totally different, not from not for warriors from Telangana, right? Ah, so right. it is it is not this unitary narrative. Oh, this region has been superior. It's always how do these these the, how do these dynamics and interactions emerge, and how yeah. do they take these very complex forms over time, and how do you actually see them? Uh, in the evidence that survives. Uh, you asked a question earlier about the evidence, which I was not able to get to, but I think now's a good time to address it, mm-hmm. is that most of the evidence that survives is just royal land grants, right? Um, and like I said earlier, like it's very difficult to write a history from that because like looking at modern political advertisements and yeah. trying to write a history of the 21st century, you're going to end up missing out on so, so much. <laughs> yeah. But another thing that survives and that hasn't really been studied for to its full potential are sculptures, and temples um, because the way we think about them are just like oh yeah you know if, if king xyz made this king xyz must have been so devout and he was so sanskari <laughs> one what a wonderful king yeah. but once you understand the context in which the sculpture was made oh this con- this sculpture is actually very similar to the sculpture made by this rival king who this king defeated so maybe <laughs> what he's trying to do is he's trying to say that oh well, i defeated this king so this god is now favoring me and not my defeated king therefore i'm putting my king this this, this sculpture here right and it's then like elon said, musk and bezos having off this rivalry right if people <laughs> so, look back in history like going his statue was bigger or he went to the moon first or whatever exactly. and that's the only story we hear right we think uh, that this I mean, there is a reason why right but if we only take that it could be the person with the biggest social media marketing budget right they, yeah. the, they, they only their story gets told yeah. exactly and yeah. Frankly speaking, building a temple, which is this enduring monument in stone, which many mm. people have visited for generations, was the equivalent of like social media marketing to the medieval <laughs> world. It's how you advertise your, yeah, your, yeah. your, 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 the fact that the gods love you and the fact that you're so rich and mm-hmm. wealthy and powerful and all And a, you're, 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 a, you're a patron to these poets, to these painters, to these sculptors, to these builders, and you give them money saying, hey, make sure my brand sticks out, right? It is, it is literally that. And yeah. it is actually very interesting to see it from that perspective. Right, because mm-hmm. once you get rid of this quaint notion that kings must always have been these devout and pious mm-hmm. and boring uh, uncles, basically, um, yeah. and instead make them into these figures who have like you know marketing budgets and who are like <laughs> a, a, like actually indulging in 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 yeah. who, who are actually indulging in brand building and who are trying to figure out and like constantly innovating in terms of how the brand is presented. Yeah. Um, I actually show that in very great detail in my book that, oh, you know, this king is saying, now look at this guy, he comes to power and now he sends some poet to look at this older inscription of this other king. He's, he just copies that whole damn thing to make him seem <laughs> like, oh yeah, yeah like, like, oh yeah, you know, I, I was actually from yeah. the same family and I was actually the same, you know, that family was great, so I'm also great, you know. Yeah. It's so interesting to like, now once you like see these nuances and you start trying to fit these kings into these stale modern stereotypes yeah. um, and you allow them, the sources to actually breathe life into them is very complex 
uh, mm. individuals uh, who have ambitions and dreams and goals and who, who also in 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 very profound ways are very unpleasant people who would not have wanted yeah. to be around these guys um then you can tell a really fascinating story of a really fascinating and important period and that's what lords of the deccan basically is brilliant so is it uh, i haven't got, got a chance to listen to it i hope it comes on audio soon but um so what is your plan with this are you going to do it as a series or is it a one off book and you're just going to keep it there um so what what are your plans next steps for anirudh as an author uh, of this uh, this genre of uh, thing and actually i've got to ask you with this book is there have you woven in some facts i mean a lot of facts of course it but is, have you woven is, in fiction as well it is entirely factual everything that is in the book is based on hard historical evidence mm-hmm. um though of course i do like every now and then allow my imagination to breathe some life into these scenes um right. by so saying take historical fiction is there there is a I little would, bit I wouldn't of say, creative abilities i wouldn't say that fiction is the right term um okay. but i will give you an example so right we know how these kings are dressed right we have all these mm-hmm. sculptures showing how they are dressed you know they would have had these kind of necklaces these kinds of clothes um we have evidence that that shows the kind of prints that they may have had or we have mm-hmm. literary evidence which says okay you know on that day when this great battle was being fought this is how the tamil soldiers looked right yeah, yeah. so i can say okay so now i have these two kings who are coming towards this confrontation so what how can we imagine what this battlefield might have looked like this mm. is what sculpture tells us that war elephants look like this is what literature yeah. tells us that fighting war elephants look like and so i try to like actually conjure up the scene for the readers imagine yes. the splash of hot blood on the on the on the dusty battlefield and the screams mm. of elephants and horses and of men being trampled under foot um, and then the blowing of horns and conch shells as the as the kings yeah. sitting far behind the front line decide where they want their divisions to move um that kind of thing you know and also you have to fill in the thing because i'm sure when you can't when you're trying to say a story there and then as the general or commanding the left flank is passing on orders he has to speak right or she uh, as as the queen was telling her counselor that my son is growing up into a monster of a king you need to make up rather you have to give dialogue there right because the reader needs fluidity right they need the continuity you can't just say the battlefield was set okay next chapter right so in a lot of cases we don't have those exact dialogues but exactly, what we yeah. do have these land grants right that I was mm-hmm. telling you what earlier and we know these are things that the kings actually either said or had their poets say Uh, okay. or we have literature that a king may have written so we know quite literally this is what the king said so i intersperse the book with that as well so when i talk right. for example about this fascinating text called the kaviraja margam which is this 9th mm-hmm. century kannada grammar in yeah. fact the first known grammar of this very courtly polished aestheticized kannada um mm. it begins with a preface by this king and his court poet where he says that you know the 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 kannada spoken by the commoners is is horrible it is full of blemishes and terrible sounds and mm. my book is going to correct that you know it's called I the kaviraja margam kaviraja margam yeah mm-hmm. uh, i think rvs sundaram has a fantastic translation of it um okay. and and so if you take a quote from that and say so this is what the king says so what does it reveal about how the way that he thought about kannada the way that he thought about the language spoken by subjects and how he was remaking it for his own ends and needs what could these needs mm-hmm. have been right yeah. so you can bring forth all these nuances while basing them on hard historical facts without having to make up these dialogues because 
how mm. can we know how these people spoke we just have yeah, no yeah. i mean they would not have said something like uh, oh you know my my son is growing up into you know being a monster she would have said something on the lines of oh such and such minister or when she would have used some such, such flowery title oh you know yeah. mahasandhi vigraha ka xyz person who has been doing this that they would have had this very formal register yeah 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 that, that they won't have... be like fml right <laughs> exactly so um we can't recreate that but we can yeah yeah yeah, yeah, give yeah. You, we can you can still like paint in broad and vivid brush strokes what their lives would have been like and that's really what very little actually. left for um, in the sense in the sense you've given uh, used as much available fact which is out there which is hmm. from the style of dressing to court records of the style of speaking to the style of battle to the outfits to the weapons so everything is in place so your job is to put it together and present it in the most fluid factual accurate way for the reader to sort of get a sense of that time and your job i think the biggest job i think is the most difficult job is to immerse them in that world without throwing it at them because a lot of history textbooks have thrown it at you right and then mm. this ruler killed this ruler 1854 this mm. you know <laughs> and by the third page you're like dude are you crazy i'm not going to go through page 5 to 100 you know so it's it's an amazing difficult job so i i salute you for what you've do and Thank for you. what you've done even with the echoes of india podcast it's it's how do you it's almost like you're reeducating and re uh, giving people this this opportunity i wouldn't even say a responsibility an opportunity to say what history is relevant we have this thing without going over oh, yeah yeah i told you kannadigas were the best you know without <laughs> that extreme of either saying we didn't know to we knew the best um it's such a great opportunity and it's such an amazing responsibility and i'm glad you've taken up it's 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 a, it's a big task and um i i know it's 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 glorious when the book is out but i'm sure it must have been have you must have had some nervous uh, moments going oh crap is this the right decision <laughs> right <Yes. laughs> i was uh, i was very i mean it took me almost 4 years to actually mm. like research and write and edit the book um and like especially there were there were multiple occasions i was like do i really know what i'm doing is this really yeah. going to be interesting are people going to read this am i telling this to them in an interesting way um yeah. and that uncertainty lasted right up till i sent, uh, my publisher sent it out for blurbs um yeah. to like a lot of senior people and for there was there was incredible responses man you know era mukhoti rana safi uh, tc raghavan uh, all well established historians like said yeah. wonderful things manu pillai as well um but for me i would say that the real like the most amazing moment was when william drumpel Mm. who apparently is you know doesn't write blurbs for just anyone you know yeah. never heard of me has no idea who i am um apparently was you know in Ang- he actually told me this in in an interview that i did with him he was apparently chilling in ankur um yeah. and um he happened to like have an email with my with my book proof in his inbox and he was like you know i'm just going to take a glance at it to see like what 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 was in it like how bad could it be? yeah yeah and he next looked up 3 hours later and you know by which point of time ankur was closed to tourists and like he he was just utterly and completely sucked into the book and he sent this he sent this amazing blurb calling yeah. you know like like just saying that this this book was thrilling and it was groundbreaking and all these amazing mm. things and to have because he was william dalrymple was non fiction narrative non fiction was the first like major works of his tired when i was in college yeah. and to have him saying this i was like 
Okay, I must have done something right after all. <laughs> Dude, that must that must have been quite a moment, right? I and, and I think those are those highlights. It's not about how many you sell. Of course, it'll sell many. I I hope and I'm confident right with your passion for this subject. But it's it's amazing with just that one thing, right? Like it, when you were just saying how he read it and he, this thing, it's like for me, like a Dave Chappelle saying, "Dude, I love your special," or like a Joe Rogan exactly, saying, "I exactly. like listening to your podcast." Right? It's just one of those things that I don't think any. Uh, number of listens or downloads or how much the podcast or the book gets sold for um, will uh, of course that's important but these kind of things are the ones you'll remember right my first book were, the proof was read by this person I really you know revere I, I kind of love his work and now he acknowledged me and yeah. as a peer which is great right yeah it is it is it is it was it was really a incredible uh, and almost <laughs> a really humbling feeling also to say that yeah okay well you know i i do know what i'm at and i am being recognized by you know people who have done yeah. so much for influencing the way industry sort of and maybe in some way my future work will go on to do something of that kind of impact as well the pressure is on now <laughs> yeah, it is it's only yes. but how, how, what's okay i think so what do you feel like i, I when you when you are in this space writing a book like the lords the lords of the deck and that's your first book or when you're recording the podcast because of course they're closely related right one, one i mean the mediums are different hmm. but when you're researching a topic or when you're doing the book do you kind of uh, I mean, do you immerse yourself in, and how lovely is it to escape into that world for you? It's, I mean, the reason I wrote is because I love it. Um, right. And to me, I love not only being lost in that world, but also the challenge of like bringing it to life in a way that I know that people who aren't me are going to enjoy it. Um, yeah. How do I translate the wonder that I feel into something yeah. that other people can relate to and get sucked into? Um, how do I show them this world that is as grand and vivid as ours and also as morally complex um how do i write a history that is not just this you know, pointless jingoism and shallow pride but yeah. rather that is one that is full of challenging and uncomfortable questions um that kind of reflect the way that we see our world today um mm. it's it's a it's a fascinating process and like i absolutely love doing it um especially because i know that like especially for the period that i'm interested in which is medieval south india mm-hmm. um there aren't a lot of people who have done this in very interesting ways there have been like yeah. great academics who've done like fantastic critical work uh there have been a lot of you know historical fiction writers and there have also been of course a fair share of like um excessively nationalist historians who have allowed their personal political opinions to color the way they write about history yeah how do i take in the useful parts of all that digest it um take in all the dry academic tomes and also incorporate my own experiences my own observations of humanity and the way south india is today and use that to create a profoundly new and vivid and engaging south indian history that also sucks people in and doesn't let them go like to me it's been very flattering a lot of people have said once i started a book like i couldn't stop i had to read 150 pages before i could like put it away and go to sleep isn't that Or, like a that, that is sort of like the biggest pat on the back that you can get it is right? because this is a history book it's not a yeah. game of thrones it's not mm. uh it's not it's not meant to be so it's it's not it's not designed to be as as gripping or yeah. actually is yes, it it's not most people don't expect that a history book can be that can be that gripping but the fact that it is tells me i've succeeded not only yeah. in terms of my my skill as a writer but also yeah. my skill in telling human stories as an investigator yeah yeah, yeah. as a storyteller yes yes because uh, the facts have always been there but clearly it hasn't been captured as well as it should have been hmm. because otherwise history would be 
as popular as you know um you know say for instance like politics right <laughs> or whatever the equal thing is like i'm saying it's it's clearly uh so, someone had to do it and i'm glad that you did and for someone listening right now who wants to uh pursue a you know a study and is interested in what um history has to offer with whatever period it may be um there is scope for a lot more authors like you and a lot more researchers and yes. a lot more investigators and storytellers right yes um and i generally hope that a lot of the deck can actually sparks off more curiosity um mm. among south indian kids um, and not just yeah. kids of course like people I don't who anyone yeah yeah um to all the listeners of of sandeep show if any of you are directors or producers uh why don't you get in touch <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think that would be a great thing which would come out of this episode if i could uh get some people who listen to you know marry the idea of uh, your stories to another medium as well exactly exactly and that's what It's we brilliant. i feel like that's the absolute need of the hour um, yeah. is that if we can put this much money into making a bahubali um why don't we make that much why don't you put that much yeah. effort into telling the story of the chalukyas or rashtragodas because let me tell you it is way more full of uh, blood and violence and revenge yeah. and family politics and anything we can get amelia clark to play some role don't worry guys <laughs> <laughs> No man it's so amazing uh, I feel the energy from listening to what you've said so far and um I hope it um you know can translate to excitement in the reader of course the people who read your book already love it and I hope the people who pick it up do go pick it up first of all you can get it uh, yeah where can people get your book and uh, uh if you can drop the details of your podcast as well that would be great sure sure they can get it anywhere uh, amazon is selling it um I I I think we've actually sold our first uh, print run we're going into reprint. Um oh, nice. yes yes uh, it's available in most independent bookstores like across the country uh, in Bangalore for for sure I know that Blossom and Bookworm have like, have a good few copies uh, mm-hmm. in fact the good folks at Bookworm told me it's been flying off the shelves and like a friend of mine in That's Delhi, our friend Krishna right? Yes Mr. yes Krishna, Krishna yes, of yes, course. yes yeah yeah uh, Krishna and Pritham have been sending me photos of empty shelves and <laughs> hey <all> that. that's <laughs> um and you know I mean it's great I mean the, the thing is that uh, In the, in the pandemic we saw a lot of empty shelf photos that was for yeah. different reasons in the grocery <laughs> stores but this is a great reason why it's empty <laughs> yeah i still remember when i first came to bangalore in 2017 um or mm-hmm. exactly i've been there a, a little earlier internship but the first time i was actually renting my own flat you know like you know, mm-hmm. my my first taste of corporate life and all that I went to book right. and I was like, you know what? I can buy any book I want. I was like, do you have any books on the Chalukyas or Rashtrakutas? And they're yeah. like, no, sir, sorry. And now my book on the Chalukyas and Rashtrakutas is right there. It's off the, the shelf. Yes, <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy to think about. So, so do you, 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 so you said you're from Hyderabad. Yes. And you live in Bangalore now. Um, I lived in Bangalore till the second wave hit. Uh, at which okay. point I moved back to Hyderabad. Okay, so right now your uh, home is. I'm in Hyderabad. Home is right now, yes. Okay, so home has always been Hyderabad. I, I will be visiting Bangalore, and I do visit every now and then. And I'm going to be ah. coming next in end Feb to do a book signing at Bookworm and a few other events. Hey, lovely! We we should meet then. We should yes, catch yes, up for yes, a drink absolutely. and uh, continue this chat because I mean I was born in Hyderabad. I don't. It's not a publicly known fact, but oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, this place called Domal. Oh, what's it called? Do, uh, ah, keep Domal Goda. Domal Goda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Near Tankbund. Ha ha ha. Yeah, yeah. I used so to, I used, yeah. I used to go by Tankbund all the time to the British Council Library. Uh, oh, it was there. Okay, yeah, yes, that, yes, okay. 
So wait, so fantastic. No, Hyderabad for me when I go there now it's Gachiboli and it's uh, Madhav Nagar. Yeah. That's it, right? Like, all the shows are in high tech city. But yeah, yeah. yeah, man, even that whole Charminar area, of course, it's crowded as hell. Hmm. But it's yeah, that 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 stretch, you know, it. I, I, you know, if you go on Tankban Road, I don't know if it's still there, but there's that old um, this thing. Uh, what's it called? I, words are slipping my mind today. The tank, you know, that old huh. tank which was there. I don't know if it's still there. I used huh. to be fascinated by that. I'm like, oh my god. So clearly, you know, like what, what I'm just going to end this note on is like there are small symbols which could transport you. Yes, yes. It could be a sword, or you know, it could be uh, this thing, a, 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 a bow and arrow, a story of that, or it could be like a little. Um, tiara that some queen wore, or you could see some painting, sculpture that could just transport you in your book, um, and and your your passion for doing that, but at the same time drawing relevance to today. I think I I salute you for doing that and attempting to uh, bring people this idea that hey doesn't exist in isolation. We continue to be a part of history and we continue to create history. Thank you, thank you, Sandeep. And if I could just add to that, I mean, yeah. sure, historical artifacts are a great way to think of, of the fact there are all these times that are like still with us in some way. But to mm. me, at least, like the more I've learned about history, the more awed I am by the very fact that we exist and are doing the things that we're doing. You know, the fact that I'm wearing a kurta, you know, which mm. is a form that was imported to India from Central Asia about mm. 500 years ago, or that I go about in jeans, which are this particular kind of pant invented for miners in California in the 19th century. Yeah. Um, or that you and I are speaking English and the English mm. that we speak is a result of British colonization, but also it is deeply influenced by Indian inflections and you know Indian phonemes and like in, in like quirky Indian sounds, you know, like we'll say ha for yes, for example. Or like ah. Hyderabad you'd say how, you know, that kind of thing. Ah. Um there's there's all these little influences that if you really know how to search for them, you realize that history is never something that's always in the past. History is all yeah. around us, and that's the reason that my podcast is called Echoes of India, because the history of India, if you know how to listen for it, echoes around us every moment of our lives. Beautifully said, my friend. Congratulations on the book. Thank you. Uh, congratulations on the ongoing podcast, Echoes of India and the Yuddha podcast. And uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to join me and to share your story and your love for what you do on this podcast with all my listeners. And I think from all of us uh, on the Soapy Rao show and who listen to the show, congratulations, good luck, all the best for the future and looking forward to the next uh, book in the series or just the next book. So yeah, good luck and I hope to listen to the book soon. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sandeep. Cheers. Take care. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you like what you heard, please do check out the other episodes on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. And I would much appreciate it if you could like the video, share it with people who you think might enjoy it. And of course, do subscribe to the channel because it will help me and the podcast grow and reach more people just like you. So thanks again. Appreciate it.